Well, welcome to the latest Local Trust, Big Local podcast. Today we're launching a fantastic new essay from Local Trust written by Maddie Costa, Creating the Future, all about arts, community and change. For this essay, we had so many interesting people accept our invitation to come that we decided to allow everybody um, to be part of the podcast. So this might be a little bit more chaotic than usual. Certainly there may be some conversations which collide one with another. I hope you'll put up with that. Um, James, our fantastic producer, will do his best to bring it into a coherent whole. Before we start, should we go around the table and introduce one another? Hi, I'm Laylee Ankovic. I'm from the University of Leeds. Hello, my name's John Mulligan, uh, Director of Funding Development at Esme Fairburn Foundation. Hello, I'm Annie Rigby, Artistic Director of Unfolding Theatre. Hi, I'm Grace. I run the Creative Civic Change Programme at Local Trust. I'm Moira Sinclair. I'm Chief Exec of the Paul Hamlin Foundation. I'm Maddie Costa. I'm an arts writer. I'm Patrick Fox. I'm Director of an arts organisation called Heart of Glass. I'm Daniel Ryder. I'm the Creative Project Officer at Michael of Moore up in North Liverpool. I'm Matt Leach, Chief Executive of Local Trust, and I guess to kick things off, I'd just like to reflect on what we've seen in Big Local across the country. Big Local is a programme, as, as, as we know, which puts money and power in the hands of local communities, allows them to decide what they want to do with that opportunity over 10 to 15 years. And what's been really exciting is seeing the extent to which many, many communities have decided to explore arts and creativity as a way of expressing their identity as a community, as a way of uh, managing conversations across communities, as a way of starting to address issues of, of, of community transformation. And I'm delighted to introduce Maddie Costa, who over the last three to four months has been traveling a across the country, visiting big local communities who've been exploring art as a means of achieving civic change. Maddie. I'm actually going to start before the essay with my first encounter with Big Local. The, um, a big gathering day in June last year, I ran a little retreat space upstairs. The people who came into that room, I just got chatting to them and I was struck by how they were finding the opportunity to bring art alive in their places. So talking about festivals, talking about craft afternoons for people with Alzheimer's. It wasn't that art was particularly the focus, the focus was coming together. It, there's this wider cultural problem in society where even the word art is considered to be elitist. It's naturally associated with galleries or with opera or ballet or what I've seen as high art forms. But I felt that the people that I was talking to from Big Local were really understanding that creativity and community go together. And uh, so that's what I went on my visits to four different Big Local areas thinking about. So the first place that I went to was Devonshire West. There's quite a lot of sort of cultural infrastructure there. There's the Town Art Gallery, which was where I went just for a treat for myself, and it was beautiful. And they have established theatre and lots of stuff, but it doesn't feel accessible somehow. It's like there's this weird glass barrier. And then from there, I went to Ramsgate to Newington. They had been 
working on their own, putting on different arts events, again, to bring their community together and also tell their community about Big Local. They found out about this extraordinary organisation, People United, who work across Kent with communities. It's an artist-led organisation, but community-led in its approach. So they worked together for a couple of years on a big project called The Best of Us, built a festival out of that, built loads of different events. And the thing that really struck me in Newington, which became a theme across everywhere I visited, was pretty much everyone there I spoke to said, I'm not arty, and yet here they were doing these amazing artistic things. And then from there went to Winterton, just on the south of the Humber. Completely different approach again. They, they were doing a lot of craft activities and thinking about getting children more involved in creativity. But they were also thinking about their place. Uh, they're really proud of their place in Winterton. They really love where they live. And it really infuriates them that they're not on the tourist map. And they really thought about kind of how art could help them be part of the tourist map. And so they've been commissioning public sculpture there. So it's a really different and probably more traditional approach, but it's the one that really works for that community. And then from there went to Liverpool to Clubmore that Daniel's come down from today. And again, completely different approach. They had created a community hub where anyone who wants to do something can do it there. For instance, there was a, a reading group out of which has come a writing group, but also I think, Daniel, Daniel, I have to correct me, but I think a line dancing class and, you know, all these different things grew out of this reading group. It was just fascinating because it was four completely different approaches. It was exactly what works for that community. A, really gives the sense of kind of art doesn't mean one thing. B, really gives the sense of that synthesis of creativity and community. In each place, I just fell in love with the people, fell in love with what they were doing, fell in love with the passion for it. Part of the reason for that is this sense of art really struggling at the moment. Art is struggling to make a case for it in the curriculum, struggling to make a case for funding, all of these things. And here are these people. It's so part of how they think about themselves and how they think about their community that creativity has just been a natural thing to reach for. One of the things I found most interesting about your essay, Maddie, was the quote, I think, from, from a community worker in, in Winston, David Burnby, who said that most people wouldn't regard themselves as artists, would completely reject that. I wondered, with, with Daniel from Clubmore immediately on my left here, whether you'd recognise that in your yeah. community, Daniel. Most people in them areas, I'd say, wouldn't class themselves as artists, but they're doing very creative things in their day-to-day lives. So, for example, as Maddie mentioned, the reading group that started, there was a lady that was coming and she knew multiple lion dancing routines through coming into our hub, sort of, that made her sort of see the opportunity to share them skills with other people in the community. She now runs a Wednesday lion dancing group with 15 to 20 people every week, mm-hmm. which people love. There's multiple people, I would say, who are doing something that they love but don't see it as, like, an art or... But once they've got that little bit of hand-holding to get there, then they sort of, it opens their horizons. For those of you who ever get the opportunity to go to Clubmore in, in Liverpool, which is where Daniel's based, then my Clubmore Centre is interesting because it's a community hub that doesn't look like a community hub. 
It's entirely self-created. In fact, I think Daniel had a lot to do with this design. It looks like an art space. And I wondered whether you felt that gave you permission to do more than you might traditionally get yeah. in a, a drop-in style community shop front or, yeah. or hub. When we took on the building, it was just derelict. It had been sitting there for a number of years. And the actual landlord owned like a local news agent over the road. So he'd purposely bought the building to stop anyone else buying it as competition. It used to be like an old builder's yard, so it was quite rough when we, we got it. In the city centre, most areas, there's all these new arty buildings, brick walls and things like that. So in my head, I was trying to create something that was new and had a different feel to you, like bog standard community centre. So after we'd sort of done up the inside to like a safe environment for local people to use, we'd done like a commission for the shutter. So we put it out on like art jobs. We whittled it down to our favourite six and then put it on our Facebook page for the community to vote. Out of that, the one local person that was in the final six won. It says on, on the shutter now, come together in like big bright colours. So that was a sort of like what Maddie was saying. People don't, when you think of art, they think of galleries and paintings and things like that. So I think that being right on the front is the first thing you see. It sort of made them think, oh, something's new here. When we launched, we had a thing we called the Wish Tree. We asked them to write what they'd like to use the space for and what activities they'd like to come to do here. So from that, that's where we got like a wide range of different things people had suggested. And then we'd done some taster weeks, different days of like craft, which led to whatever we had the most interest in is sort of what's fed into now what takes place weekly in the hub. Annie, to what extent is what Daniel's talking about the way that perhaps a community, when they're given the opportunity to choose, choose to do artistic and creative things without necessarily recognising the outset that that's what they're doing. Does that kind of resonate with your experience working with communities? Absolutely, and, and absolutely the, the stories of people who don't consider themselves arty but might have some talent that, that they don't share very often. At the moment, I'm based in Newcastle. I work across the country, but largely in the northeast. You know, in a post-industrial area like the northeast, there were structures for people to be creative. If you would play in your Collieries Brass Band or you'd be in the jazz band or, or, or so forth. And with the loss of those industries, there's a, a lot of consciousness about the economic impact that that's had, but also that social impact, that thing that brought you together. And I really think what's really exciting about creative civic change and, and programmes that are looking at, well, what are the structures that enable arts in the community? is a lot about thinking about what space how do we make something happen in that space and I don't think it matters what people get out of it whether it is about artistic skill or whether it's about social skills we called our company Unfolding Theatre because I'm a big believer that you make something happen and you don't know what will unfold from it and for me that's what is really exciting and important is reminding we can be together in a social context where we're very very divided my grandmother comes to the reading group and she's 89 this, this year some weeks she forgets her hearing aid and she can't really hear what the stories are, but she still just loves being around the table with all her friends now that she's created through coming to the group. So I agree, it's about coming together and like having that space where people can be together. Moira, is that something that you, you see in the projects that you're funding? Absolutely. I think it's a good reminder that arts in communities is not a new thing, that there's a long, honourable history and tradition of people making music and dancing together and writing stories and telling stories in particular. So I think that question of what are the new structures that enable that to happen again, if old structures have disappeared, is a really valid one. I get 
slightly anxious about the distinction between professional arts organisations and community arts organisations and any suggestion that those two things can't come together and collide and clash. And I think there is really interesting space for people who are so-called professional artists and people who are creative in their communities to come together and make work together and co-produce together. Almost everything that we fund now starts with a question about that, about what's the, what's the space for those communities to come into space together and reimagine how you make work and how you create work. So for me, it's not about a physical space so much as an emotional and psychological headspace, which says that, yes, you're just as entitled as anybody else to make work and you decide what it is that you want to reflect on. I mean, just to pick up on, on that point, really, I think, you know, we're, we're based down the road from Daniel in, in St. Helens and, and kind of as an organisation that is community based and works across the broad kind of range of the community, we're always looking for that kind of sweet spot of collaboration and what we describe as the making of work as a kind of space of shared inquiry and I think it's a sad assessment of our times that we have to engineer these spaces and they don't naturally occur anymore and I think the art and the making of work together in that broadest definition of terms is one of the few spaces that we have left in order just to be together and allow things to bubble to the surface and I think what programs like this are starting to do is is highlight that we've we've unlearned something over the last couple of decades in terms of, of, of how that just was a natural occurrence in kind of community rhythms whether that be in the workplace or um, or in different kind of social settings and we have to fly the flag to create those spaces and to really keep that that door ajar but I think what programs like this are teaching us is, is to be kind of mindful of the space that creativity and arts and culture can create within communities that can lead to civic change or just a space to be together without any other kind of imposition, whether that be a financial one or otherwise, you know, that you can just be in a room together, a town hall, a kind of an agora, a space to be collective where um, different sets of knowledge or different sets of meaning will just naturally bubble to the surface, whether that be art or a new piece of learning or a lion dancing group. Can I just say there are really fantastic arts people who are doing exactly that now, and some of them around this table and, and some of them are quoted in Maddie's literature. So Alan Lane at, at Slung Low, I think, is really rethinking the relationship between a professional arts provider and the communities in which he is sitting. And similarly, Sherman Theatre in Cardiff is doing a fantastic job of totally turning theatre on its head and and making sure that the people who sit within the community that that theatre sit in are guiding the theatre in all sorts of different ways to rethink its role. On that point, I was, I was going to ask Grace about what we're seeing in the Creative Civic Change programme. Because I, I know when we launched the event a month or so ago at the Battersea Arts Centre, one of the key points that you briefed everybody on was that this was about moving beyond co-production. This was about communities defining and commissioning artists, um, which seems to be a, a further step towards what Moira is starting to sketch out as a possible future. The way I think of it is all these projects are working together and our project is coming from the other side where it's trying to create groups within communities that are taking the lead, that are confident and strong, know their issues, know what they want to tackle and then approaching arts as a way to do that but very much with that community in control of the process. And I think it's not always easy. And I think that while there are many brilliant organisations doing fantastic things led by artists, that power balance is always felt by communities. And I feel that resistance there where they say, we're tired of being done too. We're tired of parachuting in arts projects that have nothing to do with us. We're tired of seeing sad monuments to a failed regeneration scheme that was 
shown through a sculpture that is now just a sign that things have gone wrong for us. And all of these powerful narratives coming through, I think there's something in getting to a place where we've got strong community groups that are uh, confident then working with arts organisations. And I think until we've boosted the confidence in the infrastructure and communities, that arts organisation dynamic is always going to be unequal. Yeah, I mean, I completely endorse that idea that there are many, many exciting projects out there, many organisations doing co-production. But what makes big local difference is that investment in the local community. And I think, as um, Maddie mentions in the report, in her introduction, people do things very locally they actually want to participate on their doorsteps. They don't want to necessarily travel a long, long way. And so for me, what's exciting about this programme is that it is investing locally, it's investing slowly and patiently, letting people decide how to spend their money in their own time, rather than that kind of pressure to spend the money on a project by the end of the year. Fundamentally, many of the problems we are identifying are partly the result of uneven distribution of money between the cities and small towns, between town centres and peripheral communities. And what this programme really has potential to do is really say to those peripheral communities, it's up to you to do things for yourselves. I came to this essay having spent about a year conducting research for the Kaluskal Benkian Foundation. Through that process, interviewed something like 100 arts organisations, cross-disciplinary, all sizes from literally one person in Plymouth to the National Theatre, that kind of scale. And one of the questions that I consistently asked everyone was, what are the challenges that you face? And one of the answers was really consistent. The requirement of funders to know what your outcomes are going to be before you fund. Slung Low can do this extraordinary work because they have this Paul Hamlin grant. It's just enabled them to think differently or possibly they're forcing Paul Hamlin to think differently. I was going to ask John to reflect on this. I was at an event at the Coolies Gold Banking Foundation, the Deputy Chief Executive of the Outs Council um, reported back on a meeting she'd had with the community where she'd gone in and said, so what arts project would you like to transform your community? And they said, we'd like a laundrette to transform our community, please. <laughs> How do you start to talk to communities about what they want? And is it different when you talk about funding the arts? It can be. I mean, the ultimate objective to any grant which is looking to develop community strength is whether it does get people together. There's plenty of examples where fairly regular settings can, can actually be magical when sprinkled with a bit of arts gold dust. So I'm not suggesting that, that a launderette can't be the cultural institution of the high street. Given the, the way in which the high street has fallen away in recent years, as kind of mentioned in Madley's paper, I mean... The well, launderette can absolutely be the agora that Patrick was talking about, a meeting place where people can come together from, with different views yes. and talk. But also one of my favourite case studies for Gulbenkian was of the laundromat project in New York, where as part of trying to rethink the arts infrastructure, they started programming work in the laundromats. Uh, and it's been phenomenally successful, really brilliant project. Sorry, I was just going to add on to that really, because you know, one of our challenges is looking at the town as an arts centre, because we have no traditional arts infrastructure. So that's taxi cabs, people's homes, health centres, laundromats. All we need 
need really for work to emerge is people to convene. Mm-hmm. And if they can convene at a laundromat or a library or, a, you know, the waiting room of a hospital, well, actually, that's an important environment to support. I think this kind of ties into something that we're seeing constantly in the Creative Civic Change programme, the way communities see it, the way we see it, and the way I think arts funders and organisations should see it is as a tool to get somewhere. And there was a really stark example in West End Million Big Local, which is up in Morecambe, where they put together a very well-intentioned survey that said, what changes do you want to see in the community? And on that list was less crime, more social housing, a better town centre, a play park, less dog poo, and then an arts project. And at the bottom of that rung was an arts project. And obviously nobody went for it because there are bigger problems. But actually what this process is trying to do in the last six months for the creative civic change communities is open them up to the way that creativity and creative problem solving can solve that. And if that ends up being a laundrette to serve your needs, but it's thought of in a creative way, then that's brilliant. I did a summing up for the get together at Battersea Arts Centre and uh, I was kind of thinking about how I was going to finish this summing up of everything I'd heard in one day. And at the very end of the day, I had this amazing conversation with a young woman from Plymouth, I think, mm-hmm. called Becky. We'd been put into pairs and asked by the facilitator to speak to each other for six minutes about what mattered to us. And I spoke very easily for six minutes about what mattered to me. And then mm-hmm. it came to her turn and she, the first thing she said was, um, I'm shy of speaking. And then she didn't say anything. And after a while, she said, uh, I think my community would come together in a crisis. And then she stopped again. And after a long pause, she said, um, I always do my best to give a a listening ear because I think there's plenty of people who are quick to do the talking, but there's not so many who are really listening. And I thought it was such an eloquent example of what community engagement can look like Mm. because you you turn up with a well-intentioned survey or (laughs) ready to have a conversation. People aren't walking around with ideas in their head of what Mm. they want. Mm. Some people find change very, very difficult to imagine. Quite often people say it would be great if there was a building that we could all come to and there would be amazing stuff in it. And actually maybe there is a building, but for Mm. some reason they don't feel it's their space. Or maybe there's a building that's not being used for that, but it could be. And I think that's where the real alchemy of these Mm. things happen is is in the listening, listening to what's being said and what it really means, Mm. and also really being patient Uh, around what's not being said, because some conversations don't come. There are people who are quick to talk Mm. and there are people who have got a lot to say but might take months or years Mm. to say it. And I would say, just to add to that, that as soon as you start to talk in the abstract and talk in possibilities rather than everyday life, people really open up. People that, you know, refuse to say that they're creative, refuse to say they have any ideas for the community, suddenly blossoming and understanding it's a way of reimagining solutions to very ingrained problems. Yeah, it's a really powerful. I think it throws the challenge up to mainstream funders, actually, who have who've really gone along with language of impact, language that you don't do arts unless there's a job or an educational opportunity at the end of it. We need to resist some of that. I mean, I don't think enough thought goes into the reimagining of assets that lie within communities. I mean, we've done work in, in Stoke, which I hadn't appreciated before I went up there. It's actually, per blade of grass, the greenest city in Europe as a result of lots of factories which have been demolished. But there are also some huge factories which still stand, huge spaces. I've never been in a building where it's it's almost been half a mile from one wall to the other. And arts organisations in Stoke, with the local authority, are starting to use that space in very, very interesting ways about mass participation. 
it's easy to make use of those buildings because the people who are making the art, local members of the community with facilitating artists, are working in spaces that their grandparents, their, their great-grandparents built or worked in. There's a need to actually evaluate what lies around us in these communities and what we can bring in to the creative process. There's often a default to using that kind of survey approach to get consensus. What do we all want? What do we all agree? And actually, consent isn't the solution to these. Very often, the best ideas come from the dissenting voice, come from the alternative approach that nobody's thought of. How do you embed a space that does allow those different points of view rather than always to agree? Moira, is that something you see from the projects you're funding? I'm loath to say that funders should be the people who create a different environment and a different context, but I think there is something in the way that funders ask questions of the people who are trying to get hold of the cash, which can help to recognise and shift the power dynamic that Grace has talked about. So firstly, I think there's something about funders acknowledging there is a power dynamic, both in the relationship between the funder and the applicant, but also potentially within the arts organisation and the community in which they're trying to work. And then I just think you start to ask a different set of questions, Maddie. I think you talk about what do you want to explore rather than what's the output of this? How do you know that people are interested in what you're proposing to do? What voice have they had in your plan? What do you think you might learn and how will that learning feed into your practice in the future? Who are you partnering with? Particularly, I think, Patrick's point about increasingly what we want to see is that existing organisations in particular areas are part of the conversation and, and potentially the solution as well. Youth services, women's services, migrant groups, there are already people who are gathering and convening together. And I think artists should be very much thinking in a different way, turning it on its head again and going, who are those groups out there? who already have the links into the communities and how do we connect with those in really interesting ways. Something that comes through in conversations that I have with artists quite a lot is that people don't necessarily know what they want until after they've got it, particularly with anything that is new. For the past six and a half years, I have hosted, I, I just call it theatre clubs. Simple concept, it's just a book club, but for theatre performances. The woman who got me started in that work, Lily Einhorn, who used to work in the participatory project at the Young Vic, I interviewed her about it last week and she said that she started it from a hunch that she was giving lots of free tickets to people in the two boroughs next to the Young Vic, noticed that lots of them were coming on their own and therefore didn't necessarily have someone to talk to about the show and just wanted to offer them a community space to continue that experience of theatre going. She realised that people were really hungry for that but they didn't know they needed it. So there's something about listening for the thing that people don't know that they need. Back in the early stages of like Club Moor, people were asked what would they like to change and it was like what Grace said, crime and antisocial behaviour and dog mess. But when they asked what was the last time you sort of suffered from something like that, they were like, oh, never. <laughs> like, all my family live around the corner and it's great type of thing. So one of the ways we thought a creative way to tackle that problem of dog mess was the dog show. So it's bringing people together to have like a crop, so to say. As it's developed, there's new ways to bring more creative in. So now we have like people playing music at the event and free food and just sort of like a nice environment for other creatives to get involved, which could then lead on to become a music festival with the dog show involved. And like Maddie just said, people don't know what they sort of want until it's like right in front of them. I would just 
slightly challenge that, not to say that it's not true. That argument that people don't know what they want until they've got it is one of the biggest problems in that power dynamic between arts organisations and communities. Every community I've been to knows exactly what it wants. It knows the problems, it knows the issues. It doesn't know how creativity can get them to a solution, but it does know what it wants. And I think that you need to manage that situation very carefully when you're going into a community and it's all about, comes back to listening again. And I think we should realise that, that by pursuing this fun creativity for some, arts for others yeah. uh, trope, we're letting the big art institutions off the hook yeah. a bit. And actually the taxes that are collected yeah. in Liverpool, Ramsgate and the other big local areas are subsidising those institutions. And whilst I wouldn't want to blanket criticise all the national institutions in the logic, yeah. some of them are absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I think we have to hold all their feet to the fire. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem that we've had historically is that we've not valued those different sets mm -hmm. of knowledge. So the idea of this artist riding in on a white horse, you know, to, with a community of, of need or beneficiaries, I think that we're slowly starting to unravel that. And we're saying actually an artist and community have different skill sets, different perspectives, different knowledges. And when they come together, something beautiful or something, you know, important emerges. What I see in this report come through really loud and clear is leadership in a leadership vacuum. Um, and I think that we need to find a way for these projects to be able to not just put a kind of plaster over some issues, but actually to make them unignorable. Mm -hmm. If there was one thing for me that was a general thread across different projects and programs that we are working on is that they always point to some sort of democratic deficit. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there can be a really obvious solution there. And sometimes it can just be about making noise mm -hmm. and actually demanding or convening a room where actually decisions can be made. And I think what's interesting about all these different programs that are happening nationally is the bit in this title of creating the future art communities and change. I think we really need to pay attention to the change so that we're not just creating kind of time limited funding um, opportunities which kind of book a trend, but actually we're, we're fundamentally changing our role and the role of arts and creativity within the broader kind of civic mix of society. I just wanted to pick up on that point about people for more communities might enjoy opera, might enjoy other arts activities and not closing them off for that. What we've had for a long time is an approach that says that there is something wrong with them out there for not appreciating our art. If we went round this table, I suspect that all of us have different cultural preferences, but we're allowed to not like things. Many people in those communities are not allowed to not like things. I mean, I always want to make a bid for remembering that artists are also people and yeah. are also in communities. So I've had somebody in a workshop who I realised had grown up in the same house that I grew up in, but 30 years previous to me. I've also, you know, run workshops where my experience is enormously different to the people who I'm in that room with. People may discover they absolutely love ballet yeah. or um, love opera, or they may discover that the thing that they want to do is the thing they continue to want to do. And the great hope is that in 50 years' time, this work fosters voices that can create a really vibrant arts culture for the future that is more representative of our country. That's a fantastic point to wind up a conversation that could go on for, for several more hours. <laughs> Although our, our generous host, Esme Fairburn, might at some point want their room back. To bring it all together, I was going to ask Maddie to perhaps reflect on the conversation and speculate as to where the debate might go next. Maddie. I think this is the first time I've sat around a table with funders, academics, artists and members of the community kind of equally represented. There's a real sense of there having been huge societal changes in the past 20 years. 
they've happened so quickly because they are to do with the digitization of life and also how shifts in sort of the overarching capitalist structures have changed life around us that we're still navigating we are living a moment we do not understand and part of what we need to help us understand that help us overcome those challenges we all have a common need and i think creativity speaks to that common need thank you very much